Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am very excited today because I have an amazingly strong and amazingly, uh, both in muscle and in mind, uh, guest today, Dr. Quinn Hennick. How are you, Quinn? I'm doing well, Josh. I don't know about that intro, though, man. Yeah, I know. You're probably not that muscularly strong, but your mind's pretty good, so we're, we're okay there. Okay. No, did I say your last name correctly there, by the way? Yeah, man. Perfect. Awesome. Now, Quinn, can you give everybody kind of an idea of, you know, your professional background and what fills up most of your days? Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I'm a physical therapist by trade, doctor of physical therapy. I have a little office in Southern California in Newport Beach, California, and it is attached to a big uh, strength and conditioning gym that's, that houses a big uh, weightlifting, competitive weightlifting club and a, and a powerlifting club and uh, kind of fitness metabolic conditioning classes, uh, otherwise known as competitive exercise or CrossFit. So it's all kind of in one house. And then we've got uh, the high school, local high school and middle school kids that come in to train. So, and that's where my office is, is right in the, right in the heart of that. So that's where I spend most of my days and uh, helping with the athletes there and writing their programs and, or corrective programs, rehab, pro- rehab programs, and, and obviously seeing anybody who wants to come in for, uh, for the same. So that's, that's kind of the gist of my day to day. And then on the side, we're doing courses with, with clinical athlete and uh, trying to just, I guess, progress the field of, of sports med and rehab as best we can. That's awesome, man. I love it. So when, uh, when you say like, so, so this is a heartbreaking tale of a guy that has to practice down in Newport beach, gets to work out all day and then leaves there and has to go uh, to the beach and hang out. Right. That's tough. That's tough yeah. Life. Yeah. Listen, I hope you make it through, buddy. I really I do. appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm sure that the women working on those competitive uh, exercise classes are not that attractive, but <laughs> you know, do what right. you can. Yeah. Anyways, when Quinn says that he works in a, in a, in a, a massive uh, exercise facility. What's even more massive are the size of some of the people you have competing there, right? The, the weightlifting and powerlifting guys, are, they're big dudes. I've seen yeah, the pictures. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And there's some small dudes, you know, the weight classes are there for a reason, but uh, everybody, it's always very impressive to walk into the gym and, and see what some of these athletes can do. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get into it. And if you don't mind, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of your role. Cause you said you also write programs and then write the, uh, corrective or rehab exercise programs. And you got some people that want to compete, right? So you have to keep them healthy very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. how did you get started in the kind of this more, you know, you're definitely in the more athletic, um, I don't know what you would call that, that realm of it, but the athletic kind of population. I mean, you are in the epicenter of it. How'd you get started there? Yeah, I think my, my background and my interests just kind of led me there. I was a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, that's what I went to undergrad. That's what I went to college for. I wanted to be a, a university strength and conditioning coach until I kind of got a taste of the university setting. And then I decided to go to the private sector. And that's what I did after, uh, undergraduate, my degree was in exercise science. And so I worked at a couple sports performance places and um, strength conditioning facilities, 
for about a year. And then it was not until after that that I decided to go back to physical therapy school to kind of just broaden my education and horizon a little bit in regards to the injury and rehab side of things. But I think my strength and conditioning background just has still kind of like taken over and, and put me in that spot. And then uh, my personal athletic background, I played football in, in college and then I've competed in the sport of weightlifting for about seven years. So it's been, and that was about when I started physical therapy school is when I, after my football career and then at the beginning of my competitive weightlifting career. So I, I think it's just kind of been a natural blend right out of PT school. I started doing something very similar to what I'm doing now, had a small little, little office inside of a gym. That's pretty much identical to the setting that I'm in now. And, um, it's just been, it's been a nice marriage between my just interests, my passions, my athletic background, and then the athletes that I'm seeing. So, um, it's been an easy, I guess, just that's, that's my, my own interest just kind of led me to that, to that environment. Awesome. Where did you go to PT school, by the way? The University of Indianapolis. So I'm a, I'm a Midwest guy. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And, uh, and so what, what kind of led you to develop the clinical athlete coursework um, in that sense? Like, because here you are coming out of PT school, you supposedly, you know, I'm, I'm doing this in air quotes, but you should have all the rehab skills you need, right? Coming out of school, but I have a feeling it didn't work out that way. No, it doesn't. Well, you think, you know, with, and again, it was my background. Didn't, I didn't really know. I, I liked physical therapy because it, um, I believed that it was a nice adjunct to what I was, I was already kind of learning on, on my own as a strength and conditioning coach. And, you know, with my perception was, oh, I'm going to be, it's going to be three years in the Nike rehab center and I'm going to be LeBron James's student physical therapist. And this <laughs> is going to be awesome. Right. And it's, it's nothing like that on day one. They, they tell us that, that we're going to be trained to be generalists. And, and I, and that was true. I spent as much time or probably much more in a, in a hospital and in an acute rehab setting for all very fulfilling and rewarding settings, but not in this particular, not in the sports orthopedic athletic setting. Um, so I got very, very little of that in physical therapy school. Uh, and, and so again, kind of relying on my strength and conditioning background, I guess what PT school did for me was it helped me to learn how to think. It helped me to learn how to be skeptical and, and uh, critical in a, in a healthy way of, of, of just any idea and, and treatment strategy and, and concept going forward. It, it taught me how to appraise the scientific literature a little bit better. Uh, and so the clinical athlete idea at its, at its core, a clinical athlete is just a network of healthcare providers who hopefully strive to have a better understanding of the management of athletes. And so the clinical athlete is, as a standalone is, is a directory. So the map is on clinicalathlete.com. And so athletes can go on the directory and they can find a clinician who's near them. And there's a profile page and all these clinicians have been through the clinical athlete application process. And there's a, a forum initiation process where they actually have to have professional discussion before they're listed on the directory. And so if you've got somebody, if you're looking at somebody on that map, you can kind of at least be somewhat um, comfortable, you know, with, with the vetting process and, and know that they're going to understand your goals. And with that, we developed courses that hopefully extend with the same ideas as just kind of you know, blurring the lines a little bit between strength and conditioning and uh, physical rehabilitation. And because the principles are very similar because we're all human, right? And so there's, 
it's kind of a false dichotomy when it's like, this is, this is your rehab and then this is your training. And then the, these worlds are so far apart and the client or patient or athlete is stuck in the middle and they've got coaches telling them one thing and then healthcare professionals telling them another, and there's not very much cohesion there. So we're just trying to improve upon that a little bit better. Yeah. I, man, I, I can, there's so many ways that I believe in exactly what you're doing. Cause I, I didn't, I don't know if you know this, but I, when I was in college up at Montana state university, home of the fighting Bobcats, uh, I competed in Olympic weightlifting up there under Steve Goff, who was like mm. a good friend of Mike Bergner back in the day. Mm. Um, a crazy man, coach Steve Goff. He was legitimately insane, I think, but a uh, great coach. And, um, and it was funny because the strength uh, and conditioning center was right next door to the training room. And there was literally a brick wall between those two and the door that they, you know, you could walk from one to the other. That door was almost welded shut. It was like a metaphor for what was going on, right? Like you can be in the training room getting treated or you can be in the, in the weight room, but you don't want to do both at the same time. And it was such an antiquated model. And our, you know, our numbers reflected that there. We weren't seeing people, once you got injured, there's a very low chance that you were going to come back from that injury uh, quick enough to be impactful on the season that you were playing in. So I'm, I'm excited you're doing this in kind of the private sector because it's so, it's so needed uh, in what people do, because I think there's a lot of physical therapists and chiropractors out there that have the skills to help people, but connecting them with athletes and connecting with coaches so that it all is coordinated is, is what should happen. It's just so tough to get it to happen. Yeah. And it is like, in, in the university, in the high schools, it's even harder, like you mentioned, but still trying, you know, I, I think the idea is we make them more mainstream and it's, it's got to start to trickle in a little bit. And it's not to say that, uh, you know, that the coach needs to be the, the rehab professional or the, the healthcare professional and vice versa, but I think each side should have knowledge of the other. And so there's a, there can be some type of, of common language there. And I think when you really get down to it, to the, the true principles of, of, you know, tissue adaptation and, and these types of physiological effects of exercise or injury, the two worlds are really not that much different. You know, I, th I think that if there was like a hidden camera in my quote unquote physical therapy treatment room, and they just kind of followed me around all day, you would be probably mistake me for a, a strength and conditioning coach who just his athletes just tend to not go as heavy or they tend to move a little bit slower, but it's really because they're injured, but they're still doing the same movements that the hard charging healthy athletes are doing. It's, it's just at a much lower threshold, uh, obviously to accommodate their, wherever they are in their, in their healing stage. And so I really just don't, I don't feel that the two worlds are all that different in the, in regards to the principles of physiological adaptation and or what we're trying to impart on the person. It just, what may be different is uh, the appropriate dosage of, of, you know, such things, the education mm -hmm. of, of such things, being able to have communication with, uh, you know, other healthcare professionals like surgeons or, or physicians or these, you know, having that type of, of line. Uh, but I think the, the two sides have a lot to learn from each other and a lot to, to just kind of, realize that we're all, we're not all that much different. 
Yeah. Uh, man, preach it from the mountaintops, brother, because it needs to be heard. So, well, you know, we're talking to, in this podcast, we're talking to a lot of clinic owners who may not yet have a gym. And I think there's definitely some intimidation about adding a gym that um, it may seem like it's a whole nother entity. It's it's another confusing business to add on to this. But uh, in your daily operations, since you're, you cannot get to your quote unquote clinic and without walking through a gym, right? Correct. Yeah. And so can you kind of talk about um, maybe inspire some people here with how low the friction is between taking somebody from the gym floor into the clinic or from the clinic in onto the gym floor and that integration of both that, that only occurs by the way, to those listeners out there, it, it only occurs when that, when they share the same physical space, I don't see it happening when it's completely separate buildings. You know, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages. The, I'll go with disadvantages first because there's not that many of them. Uh, the, the disadvantage is I'm there every day and it's easy to basically, you know, at the end of the day, I could, I could think back of how many people I have a verbal consult with for free. And because I'm there, you know, I'm walking around, I train there too. And so like, we could just be talking I'm training with somebody who's right next to me. We could just be talking and, uh, you know, talking about what they got going on while I'm lifting and then, you know, realize that that's actually time that could be built for, you know? And so that's, that's probably the biggest uh, disadvantage of it is it's hard. It's hard to separate the two things. Um, but at the same time, that's the biggest advantage because the, the barrier to entry to my, to me is, is not there. It's not present. There is no barrier. It's just literally just a door. Uh, and so, and the coaches, you know, if you get, if you're with a gym with coaches and owners that value your service, which I'm fortunate enough to be in right now, it's, there's really only upside, you know, the coaches are integrating me into the system. So I screen every new member that comes into the gym. And so it's a value add to the gym because the members see as like, Oh, wow. You know, one of the first people I see is a, is a physical therapist, you know, as a healthcare professional. So these, uh, these coaches, this gym must really care about my health, you know? And, and now I've me and the coaches and the, the trainers who are going to be working with that athlete from day to day are now all on the same page, you know? So the, the athlete has, has a team with them, uh, who, who are all kind of on their side and they're not chirping from different sides of the, of the, of the yard or, or so to speak. So I think it's, I think it, the setting allows the barriers to essentially be broken down, you know, naturally. Um, then I always have communication with the coach. You know, if I, I see athletes who are not a part of my gym, obviously, and, and, one of the first things I do after I see them is I get on the phone or, or the computer and contact their, their coach or their trainer or whoever is on their team also kind of managing, you know, their training or, or what they're doing because I want to make sure there's open communication on both sides. But with the, with the athletes in our gym, there is no barrier to that communication either because I see that coach is 15 feet away. And so I just walk over and have a conversation with them. You know, so-and-so is having a little bit of trouble with this. We probably need to lay off of this. Why don't we do this? Blah, blah, blah. And then, and then we can have that conversation and then it's done. You know, right then and there, we've got a plan um, and there's no confusion. So it's, it, it can be intimidating at first, especially if you don't have a relationship with the gym, if it's kind of just like a, you just inherited uh, uh, that spot and, and you've got to build relationships. But the, the very first thing to do, I think, is 
get, uh, get to know the coaches, you know, get to know the people who are in charge of the athletes who are going to be talking about you to these athletes and they need to know what you offer and what you do. And, and all those questions should be very, very clear so that when the athletes ask them about you, then they can just rattle off all of the things that you bring to the table, you know, of value. Um, and, and in that respect, it's just a very symbiotic relationship. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. So, you know, there's, there's very little friction there to get people into the clinic. And how about when you transfer somebody out of your clinic? So maybe somebody came in to see you that wasn't a gym member and you want to transfer them out to the gym, right? Um, how does that conversation go? Because you kind of explain what happens when the new gym member comes in, but how about somebody you want to train at your facility that came in for an injury and now you're taking them out for their first time in a new gym? Yeah. You know, I think it also all depends on what kind of model you're, you have, if you have, because I don't have, I don't own the gym and I don't have any stake in the gym. So that's kind of a separate entity. I, if they want to join that gym, obviously we're having a talk with the coaches and, and that sort of thing. But most of the athletes, my, the population that I see is, is a very niche population. If they're walking in my door, if they're not a member of my gym, they're a member of a gym. And, right. and so they already are familiar with the type of training. And so it's not hard for me. Basically, most of the people that walk in my gym, we're modifying their training or their, their workload in some capacity. So we're talking about that. So whether that happens in, in our facility or whether that happens in the facility that they're already training in is really irrelevant to me. Um, there's no bias to me either way. That's maybe the, the advantage of not having a, st- a stake in the gym because I'm not biased towards them. It's like, oh, you love the gym that you're at, but you just wanted to see me? Yeah, that's fine. We're going to do this, this, and this, and I'll, I'll call or email your coach. Uh, but in our facility, if they see me, it's very – I like the system that we have now because we have mandatory – onboarding, whether they want to be a competitive weightlifter, whether they want to be uh, in, the, in the metabolic conditioning classes or the CrossFit classes, they have mandatory one-on-one sessions. And it doesn't matter what level you're at either um, because we want to just know where people, where people are, you know, and especially if they're coming to see me first with an injury, it's very important that they get, they're not just thrown in, you know, with, with the sharks, so to speak, because if it's 6 PM and we've got, 20 weightlifters just slinging barbells and we've got a class of 15 going on. And that person is, is like, you know, 60% in regards to health and also maybe kind of new to the movements. You know, that's just kind of the recipe that gives gyms like this a, a bad name because people do get hurt that way. They're not coming in prepared and they're not getting the, the attention that they need initially. And then that we can kind of run into problems that way. So our system is set up to where if they see me and they want to be integrated into the gym, they're going to have to go through one-on-one sessions with a coach regardless. So it's, we've got some safety nets there. And if they're not ready, they come to see me again. So if you, you take this new athlete who walks in the door of the gym, I could potentially be seeing them twice 
in the, in the initial phases of their one-on-one kind of onboarding sessions. And then lastly, as kind of like an exit meeting or an exit evaluation, so to speak, before they are let loose to kind of train with the rest of the team or the rest of the classes in the, in the regular programming, obviously I'm on standby um, at any time thereafter. So I think it, it, those types of systems, uh, if, if they're in place, then, you know, you're kind of covering your bases. Oh, and you know, I'm going to guess that when they're your, your gym members and your patients are going out there and, you know, their friend says, I, I need to find a new gym or, you know, I got this, this uh, hip injury that I want to take care of mm-hmm. because they feel so well taken care of, because now they've seen a doctor twice on the front end and the back end. They worked one-on-one with a coach who explained things and just assumed that they knew everything. And along the way, you know, somebody called them by name a couple times and they shook their hand, they looked them in the eye, all these things, because these gyms will not survive if you're just trying to buy better equipment than the next person. Yeah. Which, you know, it's not, nobody cares about your barbell. Like, oh, we use a Leco bumper plate. Nobody cares. Like, nope. just move on. But what do they care about? That they feel like they're taken care of. And then when you, you know, when their friend says, I want to join a gym, they are like, I'm sure, v- like, overpowering them with you. I'm telling you, you have to join this gym. It's so awesome. I can't even explain it. And it's exactly the setup you would want your mom or dad to go through, right? Somebody's checking in on the front end, somebody's checking in on the back end, and there's just a great level of service there. Totally. And it kind of goes back to any, you know, business one-on-one and where it's like, take care of, take care of the customers that you got now. And don't worry stop spending so much effort or resources on the customers that you don't have yet, (laughs) you know, take care of your people in house. And then, and that way it's just like you said, you know, they're, they are our marketing because they're telling their friends and their family about us because of that service. And so I think, I think that's what we're trying to put in place now. And, and uh, for me, you know, if, if somebody walks into my door in my office, whether they're a member of the gym or not, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to pack in as much, possible value for them. And in, for me, that means when they leave, they have a newfound, uh, new, new, newfound knowledge of their situation. They have reasonable and realistic expectations and honest expectations about the timeline and the prognosis of things. And they also have tools in which they can manage their situation independently of me. And that doesn't mean that they're fixed. And that doesn't mean that my magic hands healed their tissues in a (laughs) session, but it means that we have, they're walking out the door with much more confidence and a, and a, you know, much more of a plan in place to manage things uh, realistically than they had walking in. And that's about, I think the best that we can do, you know, right now as rehab professionals. Yeah. Anybody that's in a gym sitting out there, if you're constantly, Quinn, Quinn just said something that just totally made me realize this or remember this. If you are constantly frustrated that people are doing exercises that are too far above their abilities, they're, they're pushing the weights or they, you know, not ready for overhead activities or something like that. That is usually a sign that your onboarding was not there, wasn't present or didn't educate them enough because the best way to get people to stay in their lane is to educate them as to what is the progression look like and where are you based on a test not just my opinion but a test and when they do that they're much more willing to just work you know level one then level two then level three instead of looking around them in a bunch of you know fire breathers in the class going well I guess level five is the only way to do it you know it's 
Totally. It just, and, it, and you still run into those issues with, I had somebody uh, a couple days ago and, and, you know, she said that she didn't, everything was fine. She heard her back deadlifting, I think, and, you know, everything was fine, but normal. And then she was looking around and everybody in the class seemed to be warming up a little faster than normal. And they were lifting a little heavier than normal. And she was like, well, I got to push it too, you know? And, and she kind of went past her threshold and, and had an issue, had a, had a problem. And, and so it is, it's tough in that setting. And like you said, if you don't, if you don't set the tone and educate them on the why, you know, why are we starting here and not here? Um, get the whole, like, don't worry about other people worry about yourself, but in a much nicer uh, way than that, then, then yeah, you, you, you run into some issues or what if you, or setting unrealistic expectations, you know, what if um, somebody comes in with hip pain and you give them, it will go on the other end of the spectrum. You give them some type of very low level exercise that makes them feel better in the short term because, you know, most new things do. If you, if your hip is achy and you do like an exercise, like a bridge or a clamshell and makes your glute burn and like, Oh, that feels really nice. And my hip feels a little bit better. That must be the magic bullet. And then as a, as a physical therapist or a, a clinician, you're like, you want to foster their belief, you know, they're like good feeling. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That must be it. You know, the, just a secret to your success. And then they come in one week later and they're like, you know, I did a little glute bridge every single day and it just stopped working. And, and now you got to kind of backtrack because you, you're like, oh, well, you know, it, that wasn't actually going to be the magic fix because we still got to do this, this, and this. And it's not realistic to think that, but you, know, you got to be there. And then they can say, well, actually, that's exactly what you said. You said that was going to be exercise. Uh, and so we can't get too excited. You know, I think beliefs and expectations from healthcare professional and coach to athlete patient is probably the most important thing. If you set that up front, then they are okay with the things that you modify or tell them to do in the middle. But if you don't set those up realistically, then you're kind of setting them up for failure down the road. And then you lose you can lose some buy-in. And at that point, you know, nothing is probably going to work. If, if the, if the athlete doesn't believe in you, you know, if they don't trust you, uh, it's really, really hard to get positive effect. Yeah. I, I think the, the part of healthcare that actually does this the best ironically is, is childbirth. You know, they know this nine month run up and they walk you through everything. And, you know, you're going to meet this person. You're going to meet your doctor. You're going to go through these breathing exercises and you're going to have a partner next to you this whole time. And here's what they're going to do. And I just think it's funny if every healthcare provider would adopt that and say, this is what the next nine months look like, you know, they would, <laughs> they would do so much better. So yeah. along, along those lines. So if we have some clini- clinicians that are listening that haven't yet added a gym or thinking about that you know, there's definitely that worry about not knowing the language, not knowing how to deal with the true athletes. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit about what your coursework uh, does for them and what they'll kind of come away with? Yeah, we have a, that's a, and that's a real thing, you know, that's a, because we mentioned, we talked about when I least my experiences in, in physical therapy school, if you are not going to get that side of things, if your only experience is PT school, it doesn't matter if just because you graduate and you can slap on sports physical therapy on the side of your building, you know, you're not, that doesn't mean that you have that knowledge. And so that's a, that's a real concern. Um, our, I guess our courses are, are hopefully geared towards helping push that along a little bit. We have uh, a weightlifting, we call it the clinical athlete weightlifting coaches certification 
and it's regarding the snatch and the clean and jerk. However, it's, it's kind of spun from a clinical side. And so it's breaking down. If you think about this, the, those three movements, really snatch, clean and jerk, they, they, uh, include a, you know, squatting patterns, overhead patterns, hip hinging, deadlifting patterns, and, you know, all of those variations along the spectrum. And so we break down those positions and we talk about regressions, progressions, modifications in injury scenarios, how to program within injury scenarios. And so you don't have to be a star, you know, weightlifter to get something out of that course. And, I th- and then we have another course that's very similar for the squat, the deadlift, and just the strict press. So it's the same, very similar principles, but maybe more of just the basic foundational movements, you know, strength training movements, squat, deadlift, overhead press, and then we break them down this in the exact same way. Um, progressions, regressions, injury scenarios, load management, that type of thing. And uh, another course that's maybe more on the, on the clinical side in regards to how to educate uh, with, with pain science, how to manage chronic conditions like low back pain, um, tendinopathies, acute injuries such as, as muscle strains and, and joint sprains and these types of things. So we try to, our, I guess the course curriculum is trying to run the spectrum from coach to clinician, but it's like we talked about earlier blending, you know, giving both, blending the two worlds and, and so people can have a common language. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned language because I was, I was going to say, you know, I, uh, I think that it's really important to speak that language when you're working in those niche, niche groups. So if, you know, forget weightlifting, I mean, weightlifting has its own little, uh, you know, it's, it's secret cult language that it uses just like triathlon does, just like golf does. And if you speak that to the athletes that are looking for your help there, they inherently believe and in their confidence level goes up in your ability to treat them. If I talk to a golfer and I, you know, tell them, oh yeah, so you're hitting it fat and you're, you know, you, uh, you're sculling the ball and this and that. And they go, oh man, this guy really understands golf. Or I go to the weightlifter and I say, hey, you know, when you PR on your snatch, what, you know, is that competition? Like you start using their language, they go, Oh wow, this person understands, and uh, and that's what your course will also give them too, right? Is the secret, <laughs> the the Rosetta Stone to the secret language of weightlifting, yeah, which, which will help them understand as a clinician too. Like when that person's using a term you don't know, you want to make sure you understand so that you can offer better care. Because even if it's just a hip hinge pattern, but I say, you know, doing my, I don't know how how we phrase it, but doing deads or, and and it's like, what what does that mean? Well, if you have the language, you can help them a little bit better. So I think that's, that's an important aspect of it uh, as well. And then the other piece of it is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, having those regressions and progressions and being in a course that has non-clinicians in it, I think is a way better learning experience than sitting and watching an endless PowerPoint presentation because you're going to hear what people who don't have a clinical license say and how they do and how they act and what their scenarios are. And therefore you're going to see, you know, it's kind of like a transitional state between what your patient's going through and what you as a doctor are thinking. And I just went on and on, but I mean, I'm sure you see this in your coursework, right? Like totally that, that blending is so important that people overlook that because if you can't have a conversation and a, and a slick uh, educated handoff to the next person that's going to be working with this person, you haven't actually provided care. You've, you've just kind of put a bandaid on things. Well, and we think back to the most important person in the room, which, which is the patient. They're left in, in the kind of a confusion. They're, they're in 
the gap. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you're hundred percent right. I mean, if I don't know, if I, if I have somebody in my office and I have recommendations in my head, but I don't know how to integrate those recommendations in with the person who they spend even more time with, which is their strength and conditioning coach or their trainer or their sport, you know, specific coach, then it's really all for not on my end. You know, they're just going to continue to do what they do if, if I can't translate that. And then on the flip side, you know, if, if, if a coach doesn't necessarily is, you know, just all go, 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 and doesn't necessarily understand uh, healing constraints and, and tissue adaptation constraints and the nature of certain injuries and is not necessarily respecting that out of just ignorance, you know, and I haven't done a good job of, of a clinician of, of being able to translate that, uh, then it's, then like you said, you just kind of, you lose it, you know, you lose, you lose it through translation. It's like a game of telephone. And then who's stuck in the middle is the athlete. Uh, and, and so these courses, yeah, it's really, it's really cool to get perspective in the moment from, from both sides. And I think that everybody learns a whole, whole lot. They come out really having a better understanding of the, of the other worlds. And, you know, if, if, aside from going to courses, if you're a clinician who's uh, wants to understand a little bit more about the strength and conditioning and the training side, you know, go look up some facilities near you and just go hang out with the coaches. Honestly, most of those, a lot of times those facilities are open on the weekends, they're open in, in the evenings. And so if you've got some spare time, head over there and just, just shadow, you know, bring it back to your student days and, and just kind of talk about their programming and why they do things and how they do things and just get a sense of that. Um, and, you know, heck, that might be some good marketing for you. Yeah. And I think, you know, I always call that the big green monster effect. When, when somebody's going into your office and their coach is like, oh, I don't know that person. They, they kind of think what well, this person's going to, you know, the doctor's going to screw me and they're going to take them out of my program. And mm-hmm. as soon as they just meet you in person and you go, Oh yeah, you sent over, uh, you sent Quinn over to me. Yeah. I'm working with him. And you know, he speaks very highly of you. And I just want to come down and see what your place was like. Um, it, a lot of times that just opens a floodgate because nobody has ever come and worked with them and met them. And they ha- probably have four or five people that they're like, I really wish I knew where to send this person. Yeah. And if you become a trusted advisor and by the way, don't be a black hole. Like if they refer you people, make sure that person doesn't leave the gym. Maybe they're modified, but they're still coming back into the gym. Uh, but you know, all of a sudden they're like, they start talking about you in a, in a very high level way. And they love everybody that, that you send and they love sending people to you and the barrier to, or the threshold at which they send people starts lowering as well. They don't wait for people to be dying in pain. They're like, cause they realize you're doing them a favor by keeping people in their gym working out. You know, they realize it's good business for them as well. Totally. Yeah. We had a, we had a local CrossFit gym and even though we had a gym, we worked with them quite often and they would send people over all the time. I just want, I was just a little worried. I just wanted them to get checked out. And I was like, all right, I've, I've overcome the objections. Now we're into just check them out mode, which yeah. is, which is great. You know, it's a good place to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of times like, you know, man, I don't know. I, you know, you came out of traditional PT school, but what you learn from a very good strength coach is sometimes some of the best rehab that you've ever seen in your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so 
lastly, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about, so you have these courses, where can people find them? Once again, can you throw out a website or something so people can find them? Yeah, sure. Clinicalathlete.com is, is the website where our events is. We have, you can go on the events tab. So clinicalathlete.com slash events, or it's just right there in the top of the menu. The 2018 course schedule is not yet released. So that we're, we're organizing that and, and building that it'll be released soon, but you can check out all of the, the way the website's set up, all of the past courses are still visible. So you can actually just kind of read up on them, uh, get an idea of which one is of interest to you. And then- And you've got some smaller kind of virtual courses as well, right? I know I took one, I was wildly impressed with it. Yeah. Blood flow restriction training. Yep, yep. We, we, so we do a lot of webinars and uh, we put those online as well that can be uh, viewed and, and we're working on turning a couple of our in-person courses and giving the option of having those online um, with some CEU availability as well. So that's definitely in the works. And I, um, we, you know, I'm still of the opinion, especially for these courses, like the weightlifting course that is primarily, or at at least like 50, probably 60% lab that the in-person is just the way to go. But I also understand that people like to drink coffee and be in their pajamas and earn their CEUs and learn stuff on the computer. So, or they're based in Dubuque, Iowa or something. Exactly. It's hard to travel. Yeah, totally. So we're, we're trying to accommodate that as well. So um, definitely be on the lookout for more, more online offerings than we even have now. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I would say, man, go, go to the live event any, if you can, because like I said, being in the room with those other people is a, is a whole nother level of learning in and of itself. So that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else you can offer some clinicians, maybe give them some confidence about how easy this kind of business trans- translation is from a clinic when you integrate into a gym or have a gym integrated into your clinic. Uh, what would you say about that? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's really just, I guess, don't try to be something that you're not, number one. If, if you know, you want it to be, if you're looking for a relationship to be symbiotic and to kind of like play to my knowledge and, and where I feel my strengths are, and then I defer to the coaches, you know, I don't try to be everything for everyone. Um, I get questions a lot you know, Hey Quinn, do you write? I just want a strength and conditioning program. I just want a weightlifting program. Do you do that? And I can, I, I can do that, but I'm, there are other people who can do it better. And so then I refer to those people and sure enough, when somebody's injured, that same coach will say, you know, I can probably modify their training and, and we can get past this, but I know somebody who can do that better. And then they refer back to me. So when it comes to integrating with, with a gym or having that model, you know, you just kind of get an idea of where you feel your strengths lie. Uh, and then, you know, what are, and and your values, and then what are the strengths and values of the facility that you want to integrate with and see how that, how you guys can work together as opposed to, you know, there being almost a competitive, uh, aspect in there, which is, which is what you don't want. Um, so just make sure that you have, that you have an understanding there of, of strength and weaknesses and that's, and then you guys can just kind of complement each other. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, just you provide the best value that you can. I think one thing that may be prevalent is 
when you're first getting started, it's real easy to uh, almost devalue your services. And I and I've been guilty of this in the past. It's like, oh, you know, I'm going to offer free free screens to everybody. You know, I don't know anybody in this new gym, so I want to get any, get people in my door and just free value. You know, free screens for everyone. Uh, and then it ends up actually being people who are jacked up for these free screens where it's like a true evaluation. It's like, Oh, I need to document this. And it's like, <laughs> now this is free. Uh, and that doesn't work. So don't devalue yourself, but provide, there are certain things that you can do that, that do add value that don't take all of your time. So instead of offering your services for free, maybe you offer a free workshop every other weekend or once a month, you know, hour, hour and a half, two hours, something like that on the hip or the squat or the hip hinge or whatever, overhead pressing or, or the shoulder or something like that. And so now you've got a scenario where the, the barrier to entry to just get people in front of you is very low. You can affect many of the coaches in the facility. You can affect the members. You can open it up to, you know, the, the public and, and, before you know it, you got 15, 20, 30 people right in front of you on, for an hour on a Saturday, you know, and there's, and, and then you're providing your value and you're educating and, and you're starting to, they are now starting to see what you bring to the table. Uh, and now you don't have to devalue or, or discount your services because they, they, they see what they're getting. So little things like that, you know, and then take care of, take care of the coaches who are your potential referral sources too. Um, you know, foster that relationship as best as you possibly can. Uh, and hosting, is, sorry to cut in here, but yeah. I've seen a lot of success with hosting educational workshops for the coaches that, yes. that give them some skills to kind of work with people and give them some clear lines about, hey, when it gets to this point, like refer this person. I'm telling you, like, they're not going to get better. But, you know, all this stuff, I think you guys can handle that as much as I can you know, and give them the tools to be better coaches, which sometimes are lacking out there. They'll love you for that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. If definitely just the, the, the coaches, you want to take care of them. And then, and like you said earlier, Josh, they just won't, they won't stop talking about you and they won't stop, you know, sending people your way, even if they just need to get checked out, you know, just want to make sure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it just takes some, uh, you know, you got to be proactive. It's certainly, you're not going to just open a little office inside of a gym and, you know, prop the door open and expect people to just trickle in, um, get in there. Maybe you spend a day or a half day where you're like, you know, I'm just going to be out on the floor today and I'm just going to meet people. Um, and I'm going to maybe give a tip here or there, do a little bit of, of working out myself to show them that I do this stuff too, you know, and, and you'll start to have some success that way. Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a perfect marriage. And when you just give a little, you get so much more, you know? So I really appreciate uh, you taking the time with us today, Quinn. And how can, once again, how can people reach out to you and kind of find you and find your coursework if they want to work on these skills for themselves and maybe share this with their local gyms as well? Yeah. Clinicalathlete.com is the easiest place to, to see our course schedule. If, um, for me specifically, I'm, I'm on social media and the benefits of having a a not so common name as you can just type it in and Instagram. And I think I pop right up. So Quinn.Hennick uh, DPT, I think is my Instagram handle. And then I've got a couple of pages on Facebook. Uh, Quinn Hennick got a coach's page and a, and a personal page and uh, Twitter and, and as you well. Get, you get like three times the Scrabble points with the QU combination, right? Totally. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> and the uh, clinical athlete also has 
all of those social media handles as well. And so you can shoot us a private message message there. If you send me a message, my, my uh, motto is I always, I get back to everyone. It may not be within the time frame that you want and it may not be the answer that you want, but I try to get, I try to get back to everyone who sends me messages on there. Email is probably the best, just info at clinicalathlete.com for any questions on courses or, or services or anything like that. Well, fantastic. Well, I think you offer these clinicians a great little, um, experiential insight into how to work with these great coach or these great athletes and really become a resource for them to give them the confidence that you actually know what the hell you're talking about injury wise. So I appreciate the fact that you put that together. The only downside I would say is, uh, working with these big power lifters and, uh, and weightlifters and whatnot. Uh, you know, I always say work with ballet dancers, man, because they're real easy to move around the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's not a whole lot I'm doing when I when there's a 300 pound powerlifter that walks in my door. I'm just kind of I'm sitting down and and having to talk about their training most times, or their thighs are thicker than I am. So, yeah, you're not working on their their kind of deep hip uh, rotator muscles, right? Nah, yeah. I'll let the I'll let the 800 pound squat go ahead and and mobilize their hip. There you go. Awesome. All right. Well, Quinn, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Uh, uh, everybody check out clinicalathlete.com. It's just great information. It really fills that need in that um, kind of athlete uh, and clinical clinician uh, marriage, and you'll learn so much there. So on behalf of Quinn Hennick, and uh, I am Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dreamt of. Thanks a lot, Quinn. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.